Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to Psalm 23, a very, very well-known psalm, probably the most well-known portion of Scripture in all the world, Psalm 23. And you won't hear anything this morning that you haven't heard before, I am sure, but I hope that uh, as we reflect upon this very well-known portion of Scripture again, uh, that God will speak to us in a fresh way. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May God bless his word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the privilege of gathering here on this property, on this corner in Richmond Hill, as your people to openly and freely and enthusiastically worship you, our great God and Savior. Thank you for this time of year that we uh, remember the coming of Jesus, the first advent. And in celebrating the first advent, we look forward to the second advent when he will come again and take us to be with himself. Lord, thank you for this church, for its history on this corner of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And thank you for those who have identified with this work in the past and today, and in your will in the future. And Lord, uh, may people always find uh, the truth as they come through these doors. And now, Lord, as we look at this very familiar portion of Scripture, uh, sometimes its familiarity uh, causes us to quickly read over the words and, and not really reflect upon uh, the great blessing and truth that is there for us. Uh, bless us as we reflect upon it this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, many of you know I'm originally an American, became a Canadian in 2007, but I'm still an American. It's hard to not be an American. It costs about $4,000 to get rid of that. Uh, if you want to renounce your citizenship and have your tax forms up to date if you do it, because if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. But in the last few years, we've started to hear things, fake news, alternate facts. And we live in a time, even in Canada, of bitter partisanship. And it seems like everybody's mad at somebody. And if you're not mad, you get on social media so you can get mad and have something to complain about. And we hear so many stories, we begin to wonder, 
is there anything that's true? Rex Murphy, the Canadian commentator, says that journalists have long since abandoned the idea that they are guardians of the truth. It's a horrible thing to say about a whole profession, and I'm sure that there are many very ethical journalists out there who work hard and, and give us the truth. But the reality is we live in a time when we don't really know who's telling the truth sometimes. It's like the proverb that says, one person puts forth his case and it sounds good until another one comes and gives another version. So who can we trust? And if you are familiar with the Christian world, we have the same problems in our own world. And we have pastors who, who are frauds. And, and we find all kinds of corruption. So who can you trust? Psalm 23 is one of those psalms that points us to or calls us to focus back again to the one person in the universe we can trust, and that's God. Van Gemmeren, in his commentary on Psalms about Psalm 23, says this, This psalm expresses confidence in God's goodness in this life and in the life to come. The personal way in which the psalmist speaks of God, the imagery of God's soothing guidance, and the ensuing confidence in God have all been factors in making this one of the most charming and beloved of the psalms. The universal appeal of this psalm lies in the comfort it gives to those who have been confronted with the most difficult periods of life. It is a psalm of God's strength and grace for all ages. There is a reason why Psalm 23 invariably will get read at a funeral service. Because of its theme and because of its focus. We don't know the historical setting of Psalm 23. Uh, we, we believe it's a psalm of David. Uh, we know David was a shepherd before he became king of Israel. And so uh, that's a very strong contender for this psalm. Uh, but it's interesting, as David writes the psalm, he makes God personal. The Lord is my shepherd. Uh, he's not talking about an abs abstract concept, uh, some idea, some platonic thing he's talking about a real person with whom he has a real relationship and I want us to think about that this morning and I want us to think about the fact that in a world where nobody seems to trust anybody there is someone we can trust and that is God we can trust him because as David reflects in this meditation he is our shepherd now, many people preaching through Psalm 23 will spend a lot of time talking about the concept of a shepherd and, and what a shepherd was, particularly in ancient Middle East culture. And you've heard all of those things, and I'm not, not going to talk about that this morning. But I do want to talk about the fact that as a shepherd, he provides what we need. Shepherds take care of their sheep. They take care of the flocks over which they have responsibility. And God does that with his sheep his people. He provides what we need. That's what we see in the first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I, I shall not want. 
Now, I remember as a little boy hearing that read and think, wait a minute. I follow Jesus. I have a lot of things I want. I want a new bicycle. And as I got older, how many of you remember when we first got transistor radios? I still remember my first transistor radio. It's a little square piece like this. had a little uh, thing that so it would stand up. And I could get about four stations where I lived in Vermont. But it was great. Now, I'm not even happy with my iPhone 6. It's old technology. There are a lot of things. But the psalmist isn't saying he doesn't want anything. And, and, and as you know, uh, that verse can be translated, Lord is my shepherd, I have no lack. There's nothing missing in my life that God cannot and will not give me that I need. He provides for what I need. And so in the opening verses, he speaks of sustenance, giving us those things that we need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And if you think of sheep and green pastures, you know, they want to graze in fields of green grass. And the psalmist draws that picture that that's how God takes care of his people. He it's like the shepherd leading the sheep to a pasture full of green, luscious grass. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters, waters that aren't uh, rushing and roaring, and so it's easy to come up and get a cool and refreshing drink. In other words, the picture that he's drawing for us is that all I need will be ready at hand from the hand of the God who is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But there's an interesting phrase here. He restores my soul. Now, why would he put that in there? Because like sheep, we're always wandering away. Remember that old hymn, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. And then what does it say? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And the hymn writer says, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts. We're always wandering. And if we don't keep our focus, and if we don't keep our relationship with the Lord in good condition, we wander. And yet God is our shepherd, and like sheep that will wander away from the flock, and, and sometimes they get themselves in difficult situations, we wander, but the shepherd brings us back. He restores our soul. He, he brings us back to the right place to be encouraged and spiritually rejuvenated. So he provides sustenance. He provides guidance. He leads me in paths of righteousness. Well, this righteousness is not talking about the righteousness of our standing before God. Uh, that is ours through justification, being declared right with God. This is leading us into the right paths, the right way to live. And so 
uh, in our relationships with one another and justice toward one another. Uh, we live in a world of absolutely broken relationships at every level. But God will lead his sheep as they accept that nourishment that he provides and that restoration. He leads us back into right relationships with one another in treating one another just like in holiness toward God, in a right relationship and walking in fellowship with him. He also will lead us to understand that the providential acts of God in our lives are not God mad at us, but God bringing us to the place where he wants us to be, where we will be the people that he has called us to be. And so he leads us in paths of righteousness that we will come to believe that those acts that God brings into our lives, those circumstances, are all meant to mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. He leads in paths of righteousness. Divine guidance is critical for living the life that God wants us to live. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he'll make your path straight. That doesn't mean there won't be any twists and turns. It means he'll make it clear. He'll make it clear the way he wants us to go so that we will go that way. And how will he do that? Well, one way is through what he gives us in his word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So he provides what we need, sustenance, guidance. He does it for his name's sake. Now maybe you've heard gospel preaching that says, your life is empty and you can have satisfaction in Jesus. And I remember when I first started out in pastoral ministry, and I probably shared, those of you who were here when I was here a few years ago, probably shared this, but I remember when we were doing our internship, Lois and I, at Ben Salem Baptist Church in Northeast Philadelphia, we were given a section of, of, of a neighborhood to, to visit, knock on those doors, uh, and try to share the gospel, and I remember coming up and knocking on a door, ringing the doorbell, and a gentleman answered the door, and I started out like, you know, there's something missing in your life, and it's Jesus. And he looked at me, he said, young man, I was 23, I knew everything there was to know about living and life. He said, young man, I got a nice car, I got a beautiful home. I have a beautiful family and I have a good job. I'm not missing anything. And I went away defeated thinking, oh, okay, that approach doesn't work. But that's our culture. It's what we're going to get out of it. That's what I'm interested in Jesus if I'll get something out of it. And, of course, we do get something out of it. We get peace with God, forgiveness of sins, uh, the Spirit of God, eternal life. But that's not the point. The point is the glory of God, to honor God. And God provides what we need. He guides us 
for his name's sake. It's for the glory of his name. He works all things, Paul says to the Ephesians, for the purpose of his glory. And we do what we do as Christians, as God's sheep, as the people of God, for the glory of God. We get benefit from it, of course we do, but that's not why we do it. We do it because our God is worthy of that, and and worthy of far more than we would ever be able to do. But he does all of this for his name's sake. He will not be unfaithful to his own character. He made us his sheep. He's not going to lose us. Would you hire a shepherd who had a reputation of losing half of the flock every season? Of course not. God doesn't lose his flock. He keeps it. He preserves it. He guides it. He feeds it. He sustains it. And so in these opening phrases of Psalm 23, we read about the provision and guidance of God that flows from his very nature. He is a holy, loving, compassionate, patient, faithful, forgiving God who will accomplish his purpose. And you can trust him. No matter what's happening in this world, you can trust God. Not only does he provide what we need, Not only does he do that and guide us, he protects us. Isn't that what verse 4 is saying? Even though, after he has made us to lie down in green pastures and and led us beside still waters and restored our souls and leading us in paths of righteousness, that doesn't mean that life isn't going to be difficult And I don't have to tell you that because many of you here in this auditorium this morning have been through very difficult things in your lives and there are difficult difficult things yet to come in your life and in my life. And so the psalmist David goes on to say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. He protects us, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. John Bunyan, the um, 17th century Baptist preacher, said that that valley of the shadow of death speaks of great sadness, darkness, and trial. And surely it does speak of that. Others have said it speaks about going through that moment of death, leaving this life and entering the next. It probably includes both. But you know, there's a wonderful word in that phrase. It's the word through. We're not left there. If it's the period of great trial and tribulation, he's with us as we walk through it, not as we remain in it. Even if it's death, which it will be for all of us at some point, if the Lord Jesus does not return before the end of our lives, death is not the end. It's the journey through to eternity. And the psalmist is saying, even though I walk through this valley, and don't lose the word walk, We're moving through it. We're not stuck in it. Even though we walk through that valley, 
of the shadow of death. David says, I don't fear any evil. He didn't say there wasn't any evil. He just said, I'm not afraid of it. Because God is with me. You remember Paul and Barnabas when they were returning from their first missionary journey? In Acts 14, it says that they visited the churches they had established. And it says this in Acts 14, 22, that they were strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. Living a godly life in a godless world is never going to be easy. It's never going to be without its challenges. But we don't need to be afraid because God is with us. In our lifetime, we have seen what we could not imagine would happen in terms of moral values in our society. It seems like there aren't any moral values. Well, from a Christian perspective, they're immoral values, but they're values that people live by. Or we may say they don't have any values at all because of, of, of how they think and how, and how they act and, and how they live. And we may feel like it's hopeless and we're helpless and everything is falling apart, and perhaps it is. But we don't need to be afraid because as we walk through those valleys, the shepherd walks with us. I will fear no evil, he says, for you are with me. And then he draws again from the life of the shepherd. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was that bar that shepherds would use to kind of discipline the sheep into line and and get them moving in the same direction. The staff is that crook where the shepherd could reach down over a hill or a bank or something and, and, and gently lift a sheep that had fallen over out and back into the flock. The psalmist says, even though I go through that valley of the shadow of death, no matter how difficult it seems, I'm not afraid of the evil because you're with me. And your rod and staff... They're a comfort to me because it will guide me, it will guard me, it will rescue me. Knowing that God has every resource needed to bring me safely through life is a source of great comfort and security. And so picturing God as our shepherd is meant to remind us of his constant presence, protection, and involvement in our lives. Now, I have a story in my files, uh, and I, I searched all through my database to see, did I ever share this story here? And I have a few months where my computer is giving me problems, and I don't have records there. So if you've heard this story, you're going to hear it again. Uh, Bob Thielman, a pastor, was telling the story of a lady who had been institutionalized for many, many years because of severe depression. And every day was the same for her. She just sat in a chair by a window, never spoke a word to anyone, didn't communicate, had not communicated for years. One day a new doctor arrived 
And he's, he came walking through the room. He came by her and he said, good morning, ma'am. How are you? My name is Dr. Heaven. H-E-V-E-N, Dr. Heaven. And she didn't respond and he walked away. But as he walked away, she looked up and she said, what did you say your name was? Now the doctor had no idea how significant that was because he had never met her before. So he said, Dr. Heaven, H-E-V-E-N, and walked away. He said, I'll be by and I'll see you tomorrow. The next day, she got out of bed and said, this is the day the Lord has made. We'll rejoice in it. A couple days later, she said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Within six weeks, she was discharged. And when Bob Thielman told that story, she had been working 14 years as a teacher in California. Talking later, she said that the word heaven reminded her of heaven, which reminded her of God, which reminded her of her Savior that she had come to to know earlier in her life, and that refocus upon God brought her out of her depression and back to normalcy. You see, even through that dark valley, God was with her. It was many years, and I'm sure her family members were utterly discouraged But God knew what he was doing, and God took care of her. We can trust God because he provides what we need. We can also trust God very quickly because he's a generous host. Look at verses 5 and 6. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. The psalmist is drawing a picture here of a great banquet, but notice where it's taking place. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. In other words, what David is trying to say is God took care of him and provided for him more than uh, what was the absolute necessity uh, in abundance right before his own enemies. And they couldn't do anything about it. They could not rob him of his faith in his shepherd. They could not rob him of his assurance that his God loved him. And we know from the life of David, there were many times in his life when he fled for his life and King Saul wanted to kill David. And yet David trusted in his shepherd. And we can trust in that shepherd. As a host, God provides his children with his goodness and his love. And when it says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows, that is out of that ancient culture. When a guest would come and you would anoint that guest with some perfume and you'd give him a cup of choice wine to show that nothing is too good for you as my guest in my home. God is saying to you, nothing is too good. He will give you everything. And when he says, my cup overflows, he'll give you more than you need as you trust him. 
and as you walk with him and as you follow him. And so the psalmist is led to say, surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. God's covenantal commitment to his people is that he will bless them. Yes, he will discipline us, just as a shepherd would discipline one of the sheep and bring them back into the flock. God will do that. In Hebrews, we read God does that because he loves us. If you won't discipline somebody for their good, you don't express love to them. You you discipline them for their good because you do love them and you want what's best for them. I know those of you who are kids and teenagers, you don't believe that, but, but it is true. Now, we're not perfect as human parents, but but God is the perfect Father, and he disciplines perfectly. We can trust God because he's a generous host. And so surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. As they do, I just want you to think about Uh, this in terms of us as Christians. The Lord is my shepherd. Well, who is your shepherd, my shepherd? The good shepherd. That's Jesus. And I put a few things in the notes, and I I mentioned uh, John chapter 10, verses 11 through 16, I think, in the notes. Uh, And I would encourage you to read that, because Jesus there talks about himself as the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And I don't know, uh, many of you I do know and know that you've been walking with the Lord for many years, but I don't know all of you. And it may be that you have never come to that shepherd. Uh, This Old Testament passage looks forward to the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives his life for the sheep. And that shepherd, Jesus, will never leave us either. That's what we're told in Hebrews 13.5. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. In Matthew, he said, I'll be with you to the end of the age. He's a faithful, always present shepherd. He's a promise-keeping shepherd. I love this verse from us in, in Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, 2 Corinthians. For all the promises of God find their yes in him, that is in Jesus. Everything God has promised his people, he's fulfilling for us through Jesus Christ. Do you know that, shepherd? Can you say of Jesus, Jesus is my shepherd? I shall not want.